Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Sounds like you're really rushing through that intro. <laughs> I just thought I'd like take a different a different swing at it than I normally do. I love how we rush through the intro and drag our fucking asses over the end of this show. <laughs> like a dog about- dragging its ass on the carpet, we... we prolong the end of this show <laughs> until it's like 10 minutes long yeah we gotta get better at that how many credits do we need we're a two-man operation i don't know well we're a two-man operation with the brilliant folks at maximumfun.org behind us now. Oh, that's true yeah uh you know who isn't backing us is rod roddenberry you won't find any any roddenberry money funding this program that's for sure yeah, we don't have the stink of of uh, of the robber baron Roddenberry family on us. This is Look, an editorially independent program. Yeah, and that's all I'm saying. Look, Rod Roddenberry is probably excellent. Like, I would I would love to roll with Rod Roddenberry, but I'll tell you one thing: I'm not taking any Roddenberry money for this program because we want to be free to make as much fun of the show as possible. Sprinkle it with as many dick and fart jokes as we can. I don't think you can do that when you're accepting Roddenberry money. You know what else the Roddenberrys probably wouldn't want us to talk about on our podcast is our personal uh, stories of embarrassment surrounding Star Trek. And uh, I was recently at home in the Bay Area, Adam, and I uh, got to look through some of the uh, pictures of me from my childhood. And... uh, I found some pretty funny ones. Uh, I think I sent you most of these uh, on text message, but uh, yeah, I turned favorite... one into the into the image that shows up when you call me or text me. <laughs> that was a good choice. The, yeah. my favorite my favorite one is I'm uh, I'm standing in uh, in my parents' house in a Pogs T-shirt with a like a marionette of uh, of a starship. That I built myself out of like a, uh, out of like co- foam core uh, construction board, uh, and it's like it's a it's a it's definitely a Federation ship, maybe like a similar model to Starship Voyager. And what I also found was a VHS tape that is labeled Star Trek Seven through Nine. <laughs> I'm almost positive that these are Star Trek films that I made uh, with my friend Brian uh, on his father's uh, video camcorder uh, after we saw Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and wanted to make Star Trek films in his backyard. Oh, my uh, God. Are you serious? Yeah, so I have this tape in my house right now, and I'm going to see about getting it digitized. And uh, if if all goes well, I will play you some some audio from the imagined Star Treks 7 through 9 that a... Young, from the look of it, eight or nine-year-old Benjamin Harrison directed. Wow. Uh, your first directorial credit? Uh, probably not my first. We, we made, like, a lot of, uh, we made a lot of, like, backyard movies back in the day. But uh, Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. That uh, is so. awesome. Uh, the evidence of my 
youthful filmmaking is is has been destroyed but oh that is such a shame i was surprised that this tape still existed and it may be just like taping star trek stuff off television or something um it's a little hard to tell oh i used to love doing that i would make i would make action movies out of other action movies oh that's pretty cool yeah um, yeah, I mean, we we were pretty unsophisticated. I think like we we made ships out of out of cardboard and foam core. We edited everything in camera, so we had to shoot in sequence. Sure, uh, you know, and if if a take didn't go well, we would like rewind and then like try to like get it just right to record over that part. So, <laughs> so. pretty much exactly how we make videos now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, hope none of our clients are listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really impressed that you built these ships from scratch. I was always a plastic modeler. You know, I never really got into like model kits, but I I've definitely built my share of things from scratch like this. So, I don't know. Like it's definitely like not the kind of fit and finish. I was probably I was probably like pretty disappointed in how this came out, but uh it kind of looks like um you know those sweeted movies from that Please be kind and rewind movie. Yeah. Like yeah, that level call. of production value. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to see this. So I'll I'll put a couple of these picks up on Twitter when uh, when this episode goes live and people can uh, point and laugh at me. That's a great get. So shall we talk about our episode? Speaking of poorly made videos, I, I don't, no, that, that doesn't work. That's not a good segue. That's too cruel. Yeah, Mission Log would have done a much nicer segue. Speaking of a real gamble on entertainment, we've got Season 2, Episode 12, The Royale. Or as uh, Sam Jackson would put it, The Royale with Cheese. Yeah, pretty accurate here. <laughs> pretty cheesy. This is a tasty burger. Kind of a cheesy episode. Uh, so so uh, the Enterprise is uh, is they've gotten a tip about some like some debris from some Klingons, so they're going to go hunt it down, and they arrive at uh, what gets described as a nasty planet <laughs> to look for for this this debris, and it's like an it's just like a it's a planet that you would never go to. It's a, in a real bad part of town. It's another opportunity for Geordi to be disparaging about new life and new civilizations. Like the, <laughs> like the in the same way he called Nagellum an ugly motherfucker. He <laughs> like he's doing a scan of this planet and he couldn't be more uh, negative on its qualities. He's negging this planet pretty hard. Do you think maybe he's trying to set this planet up for <laughs> for sex? Like he 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 just read some some books about seduction techniques and. <laughs> Yeah, I actually do. I think that's pretty on brand with Jordy. <laughs> yeah, uh, as a real creepazoid, Jordy probably would be into the seduction community, wouldn't he? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this is like an uninhabitable planet. But um, they do a something that's real classic for an early TNG episode, which is they go down to the transporter room and they go, "We're going to beam some of this stuff aboard. It's got some markings on it." And Picard's like, what kind of markings? And Riker's like, I don't know, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, uh, 
like a fishing boat, like like uh, getting a body on board. Like like I think we got a floater out there. Why don't we bring it on board? Yeah. What's the worst it, that could happen? I mean, it'd be like if a political campaign had no vetting department. You know, you just get in. You just get involved with whoever wants to be involved. <laughs> Let I the guess. press say what they will. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they beam this thing on board, and it is the. <laughs> It is a hull section from a a NASA vessel, which doesn't make a lot of sense given how far they are from Earth and given what the uh, what the year uh, this ship must have come from, given its fifty two star American flag and the current state of defunding of our nation's space program, also. Yeah, let's take a minute to talk about the current state of defunding of our our nation's space program, Adam. Yeah, I mean, this scene actually broke the spell for me. It really bummed me out. Like, see this piece of NASA ship in the 24th century just kind of made me think about uh Yeah, like how, they're talking how, about this how impossible the idea of a space program surviving that long. Yeah, like this is this is the third attempt at sending a ship beyond the border of our solar system uh according to the dialogue and uh like boy we are not even close to trying something like that and it's almost like a laughably far away thing to contemplate like like we need a hundred years of like normalized space travel before trying crazy shit like that probably right yeah yeah easily so kind of a bummer yeah, and what are those other two stars on the flag, you think? Yeah. I mean, Puerto Rico, p- presumably. The moon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's already a protectorate, right? The moon and Uranus. Nice. Um, well, if you're listening to this program and you're in the United States, write your congressperson and senator about... Uh, Expanding funding for space research. Yeah, see if that works. <laughs> Probably won't. They find a building on the surface of this crazy, crazy planet. And this building is surrounded by a breathable atmosphere, despite the fact that the rest of the planet is just a bunch of swirling farts, essentially. And... uh and so they're like, God, this, I mean, this building and this ship, it like may be connected. Like, why don't we send a little away team down, poke around on the surface? The same reasoning that results in them just beaming up random parts that <laughs> like strange parts onto the ship without any sort of security measures is the same thinking that gets them to just beam a dustbuster club down to a totally environmentally hostile planet uh, that just happens to have a weird bubble of atmosphere in it. Yeah, you know, like, I feel like they would maybe start with, like, a test module, one of those things that they, like, you test the transporter with. Just beam that down, see how it does. But, uh... But this seems like a great Riker mission rolls, for, you know? for data as the canary. Like, yeah. canary data down there. If if all is well, then follow up with the rest of the Dustbuster Club. Right. Data can breathe farts. Yeah. Yeah, so they beam down there, 
and the visual is really weird. Yeah. Did you ever have pretty- Winamp in college? Uh, no, but I had the uh, the iTunes visualizer, which is more or less similar. Yeah, and like that is the effect is the visualizer. It's yeah. like uh, it's our Dustbuster Club is in black, like in sort of a black psych. Yeah. It, like it's not a psych; it's just it's just a black background situation. They, and up they above beam them, down into jet blackness with the with the iTunes visualizer swirling above their heads. Yeah, that's the look. Pretty weird. Yeah, and uh, and data comments that that storm is like, you know, less than a kilometer above them, and they're in contact with the ship, and there's just like there's nothing there. It's it, like they're standing on the black floor of the soundstage, and and there's just nothing, nothing, nothing except for a rotating revolving door, which uh, has an R inscribed on it, and so. You know, the only thing to do is go through the door, right? I was pretty impressed that they knew how to use a revolving door. <laughs> there was a moment when they walk up to it where it looks like uh, it looks like Data is about to go in the same like section as Worf, which is that like awkward guy move where you're like, "There's not really enough room for two people in here." <laughs> yeah, Worf of all people seems like someone who would be totally confounded by a revolving door. When yeah. I was in uh, when I was in Heathrow a couple days ago, this sweet old lady was totally confused by an escalator. Like she put <laughs> her bag on it and the bag started to like drag her arm up. Oh no. <laughs> and and she was she was real confused. I felt awful for her. And it seems yeah. like Worf would be in sort of the same scenario. Worf has like struck a karate pose at the sight <laughs> of the captain flipping his hat open. Yeah. So. And yet operates a revolving door with a plum. <laughs> maybe it's a maybe maybe the Klingons are fans of that uh, particular design flourish. I mean, it's a very ener- energy efficient way to have uh, a point of egress. To your uh, to your building, I love the idea of like a of like a Klingon D seven old school <laughs> battle cruiser, like with nothing but revolving doors in it. They're all super yeah. squeaky. I think the uh, the Polish Navy used to do uh, submarines like that. How dare you! <laughs> How dare you! You know I'm Polish. <laughs> uh. So we're going to a guest host format. I read, which, which I am really looking forward to. <laughs> Two poles talking about Star Trek. <laughs> That's a format I can get behind. I would almost quit just to hear that. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. So the Dustbuster Club goes through the revolving door, and on the other side is a pretty banging casino scene real lively yeah bunch of action yeah it's a lot it's like i mean it's like an early james bond film level of casino where it's like a lot of you know beautiful people and and uh like a lot of rollicking laughter and uh fun times going on except for the room seems a little too small and a little bit too cheaply art directed to plausibly be a casino well, that and, like, everyone's entirely too happy for it to be a plausible casino. Like, casinos are desperate. 
disappointing <laughs> places with uh, well they did have that one lady who was just like completely focused on the uh on the slot machine which is accurate that was the most real part of the entire scene <laughs> yeah so like anyone going into a casino hotel uh the dustbuster club approaches the front desk sure and uh there's a little scene playing out here between um between the bellboy and the and the manager uh which I feel like is roughly normal for any hotel you go into. Bell, bellboy and manager having a uh, gen- and general manager having a heated conversation. They don't normally have to do with a bellboy murdering some guy, though, which is what right. this conversation's about. Yeah, like uh, like this this bellboy is is uh, is real worked up about a, a guy named Mickey D. Is it Mickey D? It is. Which is uh. I didn't really think of it when I was watching this, but that's the name of a famous Scottish restaurant. Oh, God. This is getting worse and worse. <laughs> uh, but so they, they they get room keys. I'm going to... Kinda... I got to shoot the Whopper. <laughs> so they get room keys and some, some chips to gamble with, and they're like, uh, let's like mingle around and i think it's like around here when we get back up onto the bridge and they're st- they're trying to raise the away team and the away team is not responding and then we go back to Riker, and he's trying to he's trying to raise the ship and they're not responding communications are out <laughs> wes is trying to contact them but it's just going to captain picard every time <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like no i didn't I didn't mean the poo emoji right after the eggplant emoji. <laughs> Things putting in stuff that I don't mean. Uh, but uh, but they go try the revolving door. They try to go out, and they come right back in, which is uh, almost an interesting effect. Except for they like I, if they had comped it so that it looked like the second your foot exited the one side it's coming in the other side it would it would have been really cool yeah but instead it just looks like they're going through a revolving door and are too dumb to step out when they get to the outside yeah it's a total it it isn't even an effect it's just a practical move they just go all the way around yeah the revolving door and i mean i mean wharf wharf is upset by this in the same way that he was upset uh on the on the Yamato inside Nagelum's asshole. Like, <laughs> like he does not like going into doors and then coming out on the other side in a place he isn't expecting. Yeah. I mean, he also doesn't like doors that don't let him through, which we found out in uh, in that episode, uh, The Neutral Zone, when uh, he and Data found all those frozen people. Unfortunately, this is the only Worf character building we've gotten in, in like, 20 episodes. <laughs> it's really sad. My main thing is I hate frustrating door conundrums. A revolving door. A warrior's door. <laughs> maybe maybe Worf is behind the whole no locks on the doors on the Enterprise. He's He's like... He's like, listen, if I'm going to be chief of security, I can't have any doors that get give me any kind of guff, even the smallest <laughs> amount. Oh, man. God, they just gave Worf nothing to do in this episode. Just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic 
So the desk guy gives them all chips and room keys and is like, yeah, go go hang out in the casino. Go knock yourself out. So after trying out the revolving door, they decide to do a little gambling. Yeah, there's a lot of fun and games in this episode. You know, Data sits down and starts playing blackjack with a cantankerous Texan who looks enough like he would be a peripheral character on Walker, Texas Ranger that he actually was a peripheral character on Walker, Texas Ranger. Yep. You're new around here, aren't you? Yes, sir. Sit down. I'm going to teach you how this game is played, boy. And a a buxom, curly-haired blonde lady who's like really playing the like the the dumb broad character which uh i found kind of offensive and tasteless yeah do i hit texas or do i stand if you gotta win you gotta hit hit me i guess you can kind of like make a case for it in the context of this all of these characters being characters from a trashy novel but yeah that's uh, why it played for me just fine was was that it was its source material was garbage. Right. But it's like, why write an episode where the character's source material is going to be garbage? I don't know. I, I couldn't stop thinking about, like, how great Data was going to be at Blackjack. Like the poker scene in the uh, episode that preceded this by a couple of shows, we have to assume that Data is going to have some some real ridiculous card based skills because you know he can hold huge numbers in his head and do like massive amounts of of calculations on the fly you know and and that's sort of what people who go into casinos and count cards are doing you know like like yeah but they uh conceivably watch somebody shuffle a deck of cards and know like know what the order of the cards was before they shuffled it and know what the what what they were after they shuffled it like that's the kind of visual acuity data is working with and it well seem and to he's got a, he's got the physical acuity too like they allow him to cut the deck and like like a skilled magician you know aligning yeah. the cards in a deck for a card trick i'm sure he could set up a deck that would be ideal for him yeah uh, on every deal yeah, he's got like they, this scene. I, I, uh, this scene doesn't pay off at all uh, for that reason because they don't they don't really draw it out in any way. It's it's uh, exposition yeah. for the man in the cowboy hat. Really, do you think they put a little makeup on Ricky Jay's arm and put it in a data sleeve and 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 did that card handling close up? Yeah, the with uh, le- legendary card cardsman Ricky Jay. Yeah, that uh, that deck split was pretty great looking pretty cool yeah can you do anything like that uh no i can i can just shuffle many decks at a time like i could i could shuffle four decks into four decks pretty easily that's that's pretty cool um but i don't know any card tricks yeah i wish i did i've got these i've got these real spindly fingers i feel like they'd be good (laughs) and dexterous for something like that but yeah, if only you'd been, like, training your hands since your childhood like Ricky J did. Yeah, I've been training my hands far differently since childhood. <laughs> You've been doing a lot of the come hither. Uh. <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> well, Commander Riker is getting pretty freaked out that they can't 
get on the uh, blower with the Enterprise, and Troy picks up on this. She uh, she she tells the the captain that he's getting pretty tense, and um, the away team decides to explore the rest of the hotel, get off the casino floor, and see what else is going on. And so they walk over to the elevator, and once again, Worf is confronted by a door that doesn't do what he expects it to do. And uh, again, like the neutral zone, Data has to show him that there's a button just to the left that he could push, and (laughs) it'll open just fine. And uh, they go upstairs and find a crispy critter in one of the hotel rooms. Yeah, that that room's got a reek. Riker pulls the sheet (laughs) off of him, and it's a... It's an astronaut that's been dead for like 200 years. Yeah. And he's written he's written his own little captain's log basically saying that they you know, they launched and everything was going great and then an alien uh infected his ship, took the lives of his entire crew and then realized what they had done. Uh you know, didn't didn't really like realize that they were dealing with a sentient species and so they attempted to like create a environment that he could live in like this is like a kid finding a bug on the ground and putting a leaf and a stick in a jar to recreate the habitat of the bug inside the jar these aliens found this book and like recreated the characters from this essentially pulp novel that happened to be on board the ship it it's a weird kind of matrix story yeah. At least that's how it read to me. Like, the aliens kept him alive as sort of a guilt thing. Yeah, and it's like the last entry in this log, and I found it, like, a little bit implausible that there would be a coherent final entry of somebody who's lived in this environment for 20 years. Like, it would drive you fucking crazy, right? I think I guess I wanted to know more about how that world worked practically like does he replay every day like groundhog day you know to the beats in the book or were those 30 years stretched you know like a yeah. page a day style over the <laughs> over the end of his life like either scenario i think would would be insane making yeah i mean i i don't think i would have held on to my sanity the way uh, colonel stephen ritchie of NASA did in uh, in his final log entry, but uh, what they basically they find the they find the book in in the side table in the in the bedroom and they find his like astronaut uniform and uh, and finally like the ship the the Enterprise like finds a way to penetrate this crazy shield so they they start to get communications back up and. And they realize that the only way to get out of this situation is by completing the story of the novel, which is, to me, pretty much the craziest plot leap that we've ever had in the show. (laughs) Ever. I mean, it, like, just doesn't follow logically, right? Like, oh, we'll just do the rest of the book and then we can go. Like, what do they have to base that on? I guess what else can they do? I guess. There's but nothing like, else to do. They can't leave. They've it, it sort of it sort of forces them into that into that yeah. task. I mean the they're they're talking on the ship about like phasering a hole in the in the shield that's holding this all together and then beaming them out through that hole and you know, they'd have like 
16 seconds to do it before Riker, Worf, and Data were cryonically frozen by the crazy atmosphere on this planet. Uh, and it's a gambit they're like legitimately considering because it's like there are no obvious ways out. But they treat completing the story of the novel as like the obvious correct solution, which I feel like doesn't doesn't have any evidence to support it. Yeah, everyone is really... I mean, for as much effort as we're made to think that the Enterprise crew is putting towards uh, rescuing the Dustbuster Club, I mean, much of the time <laughs> you see Picard just listening to the away team like a book on tape. Like, he's just in his ready room listening, occasionally turning the volume down when it gets boring. <laughs> like, it's it's oddly passive. Yeah, it's it's a real strange. I mean, like Picard is like, yeah, we'll stay here as long as it takes, but it's like maybe uh maybe don't stay as long as it takes and like get urgent <laughs> about saving these people. Yeah, it's real weird. So, like as the book plays out, we finally meet Mickey D. Who is yeah. who walks through the revolving door, uh, real cocksure and wearing just sort of a sartorial Holocaust suit. Like <laughs> it is yeah. the baggiest white suit I think yeah. ever depicted I mean, on television. They definitely like disassembled one of the Romulan uniforms from the last episode and reused the shoulder pad part. It's uh it's a hot mess. It is. It is pajama bottom. Don't be. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. It's like. I mean. It's sort of like the uh, the suit in the mask, but not played for a joke. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> you know, I actually had to look up the actor to make sure it wasn't Peter North. <laughs> <laughs> the decorator. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know who that is, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't him. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he is bringing a similar level of uh, of thespian chops to the uh, to the role, but uh, yeah, he yeah. straight up murders the bellboy. Yeah, shoots him in the back. You know, he's supposed to be kind of like a uh, Vegas gangster type character. It's As a all, murder scene would play out in any casino, like no one is phased at all. They yeah, watch they watch a kid get killed and then they go back to the slots. Yeah. They're there to gamble. Yeah. Uh, and uh the away team decides that they are the the foreign investors that get mentioned in the book, so their plan is to uh despite the fact that somebody's just been killed uh, not give any fucks about that storyline and gamble until they are rich enough to buy the hotel. And so, like a they, like a bunch of college kids who get it in their heads that they're going to play enough blackjack to win a comped hotel room. They're, they're <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, we can just win enough money at at craps to buy the hotel. So uh, yeah, and they, and and boy, howdy, do they, Adam? <laughs> This is just like a scene for like a solid five minutes. Where, yeah, Data where just Data, rain man's uh, totally, the craps table. Yeah, and like they realize that the, they have like weighted cheater, cheater dice 
uh, when they f- first start rolling, and so Data like squeezes them real hard in his fist to like rebalance them, <laughs> and, and then he's just throwing rocks for the rest of the night. Yeah, and they win twenty four million dollars, right? I th- yeah, whatever. Like it's like the purchase Riker- price of the hotel plus a little bit uh, for. Uh, for uh, spreading around money, he calls the, it. The purchase price at the hotel is a little over $12 million. And yeah. Data is really close to that number. And Riker's like, bet it all, man. <laughs> and Data's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like I'm going to bet $500 and then we're going to get enough money to buy the hotel. And Riker's like, no, nah, man, bet it all. And so he does. And he yeah. wins. And then they buy the hotel for for the $12 million. And they, I guess, give the rest of the money away to the people in the hotel? That's what they're talking about, yeah. They, they want to spread it around. That's extremely generous. Like the, the general manager's like, like we can't pay you, pay you the money you've won. And he's like, don't worry, just give us the hotel. <laughs> One of Riker's lines is... When the train comes in, everybody rides. <laughs> which is... Like, maybe one of the most sexually threatening things I've ever heard him say on the show. <laughs> like, if he had said that to Guinan during game practice a couple episodes ago, yeah. I think uh, I think Guinan just would have hopped over the table onto him at that moment. Do you think that Riker, when he first set foot in the in the casino, was like, oh, weird, I was just in this holodeck program. <laughs> <laughs> what are the... One of the great scenes to me was, uh, was so the club is up in the hotel room and they find the dead astronaut. Yeah. And, uh, and Riker's like, all right, dude, and Worf, you guys need to go back to the lobby. I'm going to stay up and, uh, and keep checking these rooms, these hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and Dade and Worf find that a totally plausible plan. Yeah. And he's like, leave your uh, ultraviolet lights behind. I'm going to need those. <laughs> None of these doors are locked, clearly. <laughs> uh, uh, well, so uh, they so they buy the casino they're able at that point to leave through the revolving door and then they get beamed up that's the end of the episode yep all is solved and uh total bottle episode totally yeah it uh just lives lives in a special place in my heart What'd you think? I mean, it's very dorky and s- silly, and there's a, a very bad plot hole in it. But I don't know. It's just like, it's like, you've read uh, Save the Cat, I'm sure. The uh, screenwriting manual. Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah so that's... there's, there's a, uh, this is a, this is like a, one of the, one of the big books that you read if you want to learn how to write screenplays mm-hmm. uh i think the guy's most famous screenplay that wrote it is uh is uh that one about the kid that gets a blank check it's just called blank check and he like he like somebody gives him a blank check and he fills it out to cash for a million dollars it actually gets it and uh one of the guys like big things is is uh the promise of the premise delivering on the promise of the premise so like if you're going to have a movie about a kid getting a blank check you're going to show that kid in a crazy mansion with all of the dumb toys that a kid would buy for his crazy mansion uh and if you're going to show an android and a sex fiend in a 
in a casino in Star Trek. Like, I feel like this mostly delivers on that. It's just fun to watch, like, Data throwing, throwing dice and, like, shuffling cards and stuff. For a guy who's not supposed to have any emotions at all, he seems extremely proud of yeah. his good fortune. <laughs> totally. Data's like, uh, Data is tiptoeing right up to the line of having actual fun. I think it, it really speaks to how good of a person Data is, that he chooses to be in Starfleet instead of going to a world where gambling is allowed and actually like has the potential to to earn real money. Like He could be a very wealthy person in sure. this galaxy if he made some different decisions. Right, but that's not what drives Data. I know. He seeks to better himself. <laughs> Learn about humanity. <laughs> what do you seek, Adam? Yeah, I'm making like the jerk-off motion <laughs> on Mike over here. Yeah, he's great. Can't fault him for that. How, how about you? What'd you think? I believe it belongs on Mount Armus with Code of Honor. <laughs> I guess this is one we'll have to disagree on. I'm just, I, I have like a nostalgic fondness for this one. I don't know why. It's, uh, it's cheesiness could not redeem it for me. Royale with you. That's right. Also, like, the whole deal with, with, so the away team beams down, and they're in communication with the ship. They go through the revolving door, and they immediately discover that they can't communicate with the ship. Riker's like, that's cool. Let's have a look around a little while longer. <laughs> Think, yeah. Things seem pretty chill here. In yeah. this in this uh, 70s casino on an entirely hostile planet, Riker deems it as, as not really a threat at that point. <laughs> like, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah. And on the ship, they're like, well, Riker would have pro- followed procedure and headed back to the beam point if they weren't in trouble. And and Troy's like, yeah, the reason he didn't do that is because he's so amused. Like, yeah. that's that, like that's a viable reason for him to do that. Right. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. 
With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Did you find a drunk Shimoda figure in this episode? You gave up the ship to a child Shimoda. I wrote down data because of gambling, but then... As we were talking about it, I realized that my real drunk Shimoda is Worf for a moment that uh, I'm just chuckling, <laughs> just chuckling thinking about now, which is where uh, they realize they're trapped and Worf goes and like moves a slot machine aside from a wall and just tries to like push the wall over. <laughs> <laughs> and then Riker comes over and he's like, wow, that must be a pretty tough wall. You couldn't even push it, push it through. <laughs> And then he starts phasering. Uh, Poor Worf in this episode. Like, they couldn't even give him a fun scene where the people are terrified of how he looks. Like, they couldn't even give him that much. No, it's all just Worf trying to get through various doors and non-doors and having no luck. It's all or nothing with his exposition. They either give him an entire episode of backstory or he's Or he's a potted plant. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. That was that bummed me out a little bit. They could have had, really had some fun with him, but they overwrote data as a result. Like they could have they could have thrown a little bit at Worf, I thought. Fair enough. My Shimoda was Colonel Ritchie, the dead astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> because uh I think I think a lot of people have had the experience of 
booking a trip to Vegas for just a day too long, and that last day gets real dark. Yeah. yeah. You know, you outstay, you outstay a casino. I mean, the Liberace Museum is not open anymore. So, like, what are we even going to do with that extra day? Yeah. Like, he he stayed at the casino too long, and I cannot imagine staying in a casino hotel for as many years as that guy did. Uh, I think that is that is very clearly a drunk Shimoda decision on his part uh, <laughs> yeah. to stay there that long. I... I would have killed myself after five days. Just as I've considered, uh, most times I've gone to Vegas and stayed any longer than four. I think four is your limit in Vegas. Can't do any more than that. I've only ever been to Vegas for work as an adult. And I've you had to been go to a conference for like eight or nine days at a time where you like Oof. are literally like staying in the hotel that the thing that you're there for is in. Yeah. That shit will nuts you up man that's real rough i i have been fortunate enough to not have to to endure it that long but i can't imagine yeah short doses that's all it's good for mm-hmm. colonel richie found out the hard way yeah poor guy r.i.p what are we watching for the next episode what are we watching or vetoing i should say <laughs> Uh, the next episode of The Greatest Generation will cover Season 2, Episode 13, Time Squared. The USS Enterprise discovers a Federation shuttle containing an exact double of Captain Picard from six hours in the future. Trying to put a little more uh, stank on my reads of these Amazon descriptions. Are they going to do that thing where it's a very uh, crudely made split screen? As the Picards interact with each other. <laughs> like he hands himself a, a drink and <laughs> like across a, the split screen. <laughs> like Jean-Claude Van Damme in Double Impact. <laughs> <laughs> He's the man with the silk underwear. <laughs> that might be the the most narrow two percenter reference <laughs> ever dropped on this show. I'll tell you how narrow it is, Adam. I have not seen that one. I've seen a lot of Van Damme, but that, that is, uh, that's one that I missed. Did you ever see JCVD? Uh, no, I've heard that's really terrific, though. It is legitimately terrific. Definitely see it. Okay. I don't want to say anything about it until you do, because uh, okay. it, be, it would just ruin it. It's awesome. Uh, I will not be vetoing Times Squared. I do remember this episode as being a real creep show. There's something a little off about the other Picard. Like, uh, like when they open up that shuttle and he's in there, he, he looks like a... I don't know. He looks like a guy in a coma. Hmm. It's weird. I, I, I don't really have any memory of this one. It's, it's, a, it's a, a rare one where I don't remember it and you do. Yeah. I'm into it. Let's watch it. Okay. We have to talk about this veto poll because we are we're recording the uh, this episode again ahead of when we find the results. But uh, I mean, there's a pretty clear front running option going on right now. Do we want to like decide what our what our veto policy is going forward, or do we want to save that for the next episode? Let's let's decide it and put it to bed now. I have not uh, been current on the poll at all, so this will be a surprise to me. Okay, so the three options. Option A, keep it the same. 
which is we each can veto an episode. And if one of us vetoes before the other has used his veto, we can nullify. Uh, option B is book report, where if you veto the episode, you're just vetoing it for yourself. The other person has to watch the, uh, watch the show and report back. And option C is book report with a guest, where uh, one of us gets replaced by a special guest uh, when we veto an episode we don't want to watch. And that is the clear leader in the clubhouse. I haven't actually really? looked at the poll in uh, in a bit, but it's like it's like way way out ahead of the of the pack when it comes to how people are voting. And uh, I think the runner up is the second option, the book report option. And a lot of people seem to like the idea that we have our wives on as the as the special guests uh what is that about i don't know i think they're like curious how a couple of dorkazoids like us managed to trick human females into marrying them <laughs> they actually want proof of life <laughs> yeah yeah have your wife on and hold up a current newspaper <laughs> <laughs> uh i i don't think i'm willing to do that no, I'm not. That is actually like the results of this poll are exactly the opposite of my feelings of what yeah. we should do. Well, I think that, you know, like like the uh chain of command on the Enterprise, like we're not running a democracy here. So while it would be nice if we agreed with the people, it sounds kinda like we don't. Yeah, I don't. Uh I I appreciate everyone's interest. Yeah. I had uh it's kind of like we're using a veto in a way. I mean not like not the same veto that we would use on an episode obviously, but we're it sounds like we're kind of talking about vetoing a a popular decision by our listeners. All right, man, let's keep things as is. I think it works. Why okay. why mess with a good thing? Option A. Look, I hope this isn't a huge turnoff to a lot of people. I think people people were very passionate about uh, what they voted for, and I can appreciate that. However, look, there are, this I can promise you, fair listener, there will be opportunities for guests. Those guests yeah. may even be wives, uh, but I don't believe that they are going to occur in the course of regular programming. Uh, one of the cool things about joining Max Fun is that uh, they encourage the shows to record special editions of the show during pledge yeah. time. And that is something that I think you and I are embracing fully. So yeah. um, I would look for weird special editions to occur uh, maybe even a couple of times a year. But I think during the normal course of the show, I think you should expect things to work as they've worked before. Right on, Adam. Well, I uh, I hope people don't turn on us for this uh, wildly undemocratic decision we've made. But uh I think uh I think the threat of, of a of a real veto is is kind of a fun thing to live with and uh and I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. If you want a Star Trek podcast that respects the voice of the people, uh maybe <laughs> maybe go over there to Mission Log. Check out their no, deal. No, they're it's all cooked. It's all uh rod, they're a Roddenberry mouthpiece. It's just it's propaganda, man. I know. I know. You want the straight dope. You've come yeah. to the right place. This is where it's at. I am Lacute as a board. You will respond to my questions. I am Lacute as a board. You are bored. 
All right, if you want to talk about this episode or any other, you can find us on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen, and you can find me there at Cut for Time. Ben is at Benjamin R. A-H-R. I want to shout out uh, Twitter user Bill Tilly, at Bill Tilly 1973. Uh, he's been making like a trading card per episode of our show, like the Greatest Gen Star Trek card collector series. And they're just like the greatest thing ever. Like, uh, he's got, he's got like a, he's got a card for you, a card for me, a card for drunk Shimoda and a bunch of others, uh, at this point, uh, I think they're like, (laughs) it's like the coolest thing ever. If you just, if you search the greatest gen hashtag, you'll, you'll see these cards. And, uh, the one he made for the scientist that just says the balls underneath. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the funniest thing. Was laugh out loud funny. I, I think. I don't know where he got the picture for me for my card. I am the least fan of my own personal card, but I am the biggest fan of the balls card. <laughs> and also the the hologram card for Shimoda. Like that yeah. that is seeing That's his face just makes card. me happy. Yeah. Well, uh thanks uh thanks Bill for that. Um we should also thank Dark Materia for the music that we use on our show. And uh we should thank the kind folks at MaximumFun.org, where uh, our pod, where our podcast is networked. You can go to MaximumFun.org/slash/donate if you want to sh- support our show. Please do. They made fun of us for how little money people are donating, but we never really promoted the donation part before uh, the last episode. So uh. we 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 got an email from Jesse Thorne today who said that the amount of money that we've raised for the network is so little that it's not worth him cutting a check to us. <laughs> so, like, it's an entirely different form of embarrassment that we're in right now. Yeah. Uh, we we thought that this would be a beneficial relationship to everyone. It turns no. out that we are a parasite. Yeah, which uh, is not a good look for us. So if you, if you have <laughs> any any hope for our show staying on this on this network which is like literally a dream come true for both of us please please go 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 donate yeah even even a dollar will make sure that we are we are fed and housed and housed is the way i should say that god i'm so full of sudafed all right we'll see you next time yeah uh, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek the next generation and also this just another car crash of an ending. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned.